We are in Hebrews 12, and our verses this morning are 25 through 29, but I'm going to read 18 through 29, just to tie it all in. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of whose words made the heavens beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, in the heavenly Jerusalem, into the innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mm -hmm. Verse 25. <clears throat> See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Alrighty. So this is our, our last warning in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the, the the last chapter 13 is mostly all exhortation. Um, and it's a severe one. It's a frightening one, unless you're in Christ. But even for those in Christ, it can be an eye-opener. Um, the entire book has shown us the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything. He is above and before all things. The old covenant has been replaced with a far better new covenant. Um, these Jewish Christians... We're contemplating, contemplating going back to Judaism. Um, why, why do you think that's so? Why do you think there was such a draw for that for the Jewish Christians to go back into Judaism? Habit. Yeah. What does he say, Jonathan? Yeah. Habit. Habit. Yeah. Good. Habit like tradition. Habit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Bev. I was going to say that's about the same thing. You know, people don't like change when you come right down to it. Hmm. It's easier to go back sometimes. Yeah. Dave? I know in my life, and sometimes impulsively, <clears throat> I'll make a change. And if I don't see it's working out, I'll automatically say, I must go back to the way it was before, hmm. without really giving it the proper analysis. Right. Yeah. right. So, uh, Sandy? What about um, more tangible, kind of visible things? Like it was things you did, so you felt like you were mm. getting something done. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their whole livelihood probably um, was affected 
um, from coming out of Judaism, you know, people scorning them? Well, I think in some sense we experienced that because, I mean, they were looking forward to the festivals, you know, the, the year mm. cycle of feasts, uh, the, the rituals. I, I was just thinking the comfort of rituals. Mm. Uh, there's something about doing something. Doing something that gives you a sense of accomplishment and uh, that kind of feeds on itself. I think they went through that for centuries. Right. Right, and that's what Jonathan was saying with the habit and tradition. Yeah. Tradition can be a very dangerous thing if it's a false, if it's a wrong tradition. Um, but the tradition had been changed. And this is where they're struggling. So we can kind of see um, and emphasize with what they're going through. Go ahead, Barry. Well, going said you can measure what you're doing from an external Twice a week, I give, but Christianity is in turn. How do we measure if we're growing? Persecution alone, if someone could say, you know, if you go back to Judaism, that's it. You're, you're, you're all set. Everyone's going to leave you alone. You know? can be tempting, right? For all of us. All right. Um, all good stuff. All good answers. So Judaism was accepted at the time. So there was security and comfort in that religion. It didn't produce the persecution that Christianity did. It was taking them out of their tradition that their ancestors were in. This is all stuff we talked about. There was security, stability for them in Judaism. It seems that they have an overwhelming temptation to return. The Jewish people thinking about going back to a shaking kingdom. I can't help but wonder how long after this letter was written that the temple came down. Um, if some were on the fence, that might have done it for them. Right? Um, yeah. I would think that the ones thinking of about abandoning the faith are those who haven't completely committed themselves to Jesus. They heard of this Jesus. They heard of the miracles of all the countless good things he had done while on earth, but they weren't ready to fully commit themselves yet. The unbelieving Israelites who ignored God at Sinai did not enter into the promised land. And so all unbelievers today, Jew or Gentile, who will not listen when God speaks, will not enter heaven, the unshakable kingdom. Verse 25 says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. It relates directly back to verse 24 that, that, that Seth spoke on last week. And Jesus said, and, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. How does Jesus' blood speak? Context is implying the new covenant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, um, when uh, was it Abel who killed his, somebody, or Moses killed somebody? The blood cried out in sand. That is Abel and Cain. Jesus' blood has got to be, you know, crying out to, to sinners and things. And, you know. mm. Mm. Blood equals life. So is it the life of Jesus? Mm. Tony? About um, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. 
It's it's the key point of the new covenant, right? Bev? In, in uh, liberal Protestants, I can't even say it right, uh, they never speak about the blood of Christ. They never heard it. Really? Never. That's scary. Uh, yeah, it is scary. And it's probably a lot worse now. Uh, so many years later. Hmm. Interesting. It just never was mentioned. All right. Well, we're going to get into a little more here this morning. Our verse that we're talking about, um, he who speaks, can go all the way back to our first study in Hebrews, when Pastor Gary did the first um, study in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all things he created the world. Um, so in a sense, the book is wrapping up here just the way it started, like a, like a full circle before we get to the exhortation. Pretty cool. I was wondering when I was standing, I wonder how long it took this writer to write this book. Mm-hmm. Like it was, if it was done, cause, cause the way it goes full circle like this, in fact, I, my first part in Hebrews 1 was very similar to what I have right now. Um, and we'll, and I'll, I'll be speaking on that next, but, um, the way it goes in like such full circles so quickly in, in, in 12 chapters. Go ahead. I'll, I'll repeat what I've said and just recently this, it's just a thought that I've had. I, I, in my view, think this must have been the single most difficult book to write in the entire Bible. Hmm. Because of the precision and the carefulness required. I mean, look at the Hebrew, look at the warning passages. There's a good place to start there. Just look at the warning passages. Hmm. To nuance that in such a way that you don't jeopardize people's faith by going too far, but at the same time making sure you really fully explicate God's disposition towards unbelief. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And right. all of the things in this book that are just so subtly compromised by not quite committing to Christ mm-hmm. and like holding on to two things and to pastorally address that. Boy, you just have to really be a real whiz bang of a shepherd, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Got a black belt in shepherding. <laughs> <laughs> and this this guy knew the Old Testament scripture yeah. well because he quotes. I know today he's going to quote Haggai two six, which nobody else quotes, you know. Um, so he definitely a, a, a Jewish believer mm-hmm. that came out of Judaism. Mm-hmm. He knew it well, and he knew exactly how to yeah. uh, approach it. But you are right because a lot of People do take it out of context, mm-hmm. yep. and it, and like you said last time you taught, it has the reverse effect yeah. that it's supposed exactly. to have. Yeah. Complete reverse. Awful. Go ahead, you know, brother. Abel died, and his blood was speaking from the earth. Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and his blood speaks from heaven. Amen. So there's an opposite uh, yep. pole, so right. to speak, uh, from which each of those bloods, if you will, originate. Right. And we're going to get to that more, too. Good one. Thank you. All right. So the book starts off by saying that in the last days, God has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has spoken and still speaks whenever His Word is open and preached or taught accurately, properly. Um, God is speaking. Chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 1, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Brother Barry did that 
warned us about those verses, the great danger of drifting in chapter 2. Pay attention to what we have heard. We must be paying close attention to what is being said. I spoke about this last week from the pulpit with the opening scripture, Nehemiah 8. The scriptures that were read from Ezra, which was the law, cut these people deep. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the power that's in the word, when we hear the word spoken. Amazing power in the word of God. God says that it will not return void. It will accomplish what he set it out to accomplish. So we need to pay attention to it because it is life eternal. Correction and exhortation. Um, chapter 3 warned us in the book of Hebrews about God speaking today. If you hear his voice, do not hide in your hearts. I can't shake that one. It's almost in every message that I do now. Um, chapter 3, 7, he says it again in 3, 15 and again in 4, 7. So it's got to be very important to be repeated three times in this voice, in this book. Today, if you hear his voice, do not hide in your hearts. That means today. That means every day. And the word if is huge because there will come a time for those who refuse to listen will not hear anymore. That's a scary thought. Um, so why? Because you could be in danger of drifting away in unbelief. Drifting happens slowly, but surely. Um, chapter 5 and verse 11 says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Because they haven't been listening, they become dull of hearing. So it emphasizes the speaking and the hearing, us paying attention and comprehending. Um, so we had our warnings throughout the book about listening when God is speaking. Why don't we listen when God speaks? Why, why do we have to say that? Why do we have to say, listen, listen, <laughs> you know? Or we have to say that to our children or to our animals or whatever. Will you listen to me, please? <laughs> we're hard-hearted. We want to do what we want to do. Mm. All right. All right, we don't want to hear it. Simple as that. You're a rebel, man. You're a rebel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I thought I was a Yankee. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. I was, uh, a little word study on here and listen and what that meant in Jewish thought. It wasn't just to receive a message. To listen was to also do. Mm. So you would receive and you would do. And I think that's why Jesus would say, who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Amen. Because there would be a response. Amen. Amen. Um, I see Spohl, whenever he preached, when he would have the congregation stand, he would read the word of God and that's how he would always close. He who has a, an ear to hear, let him hear. Amen. Did I have some other hands up back here? No? Okay. Um, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if, did, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And this is what Pastor Gary was just talking about. So who spoke on earth? Moses. Moses. So you think... Mm -hmm. But in context, this is tying this into Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. So I would say they're definitely saying Moses, but Mo Moses spoke God's words, right? The people didn't want to hear God speak. But they would listen to Moses. So we have a direct context 
contrast from the voice on earth and the warning from heaven. So in a sense, um, location is different, but the same voice. So often we have seen in Judaism and Christianity contrasted. And here is the contrast from where he speaks. Some think that it's a contrast from Moses to Christ, which may be so, but the major contrast is from old and the way he speaks now. Mm-hmm. So the Israelites refused to obey God and they failed to live up to his commandments. When God said, what God said was a warning on earth because it's connected to what was connected to Mount Sinai. So if the Israelites of old did not escape the consequences of their refusal of a voice on earth, the reader or the listener ought not to expect that they will escape far worse consequences if they reject him who warns from heaven. Go ahead, Mark. Just uh, as many things were spoken in the Old Testament, uh, when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, God said, now listen to my son. He the final word. This is it. Uh, nobody else has any, any uh, standing to say anything. Amen. I got that in here. <laughs> that is good and it keeps coming up that's the point here listen 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 but I like what Pat says it's not only hearing it's obeying it's action My, uh, Todd um, I'm just thinking that Moses seems to be the passive person here uh, only from the standpoint it's word, worded as God in the second person and yet he's the one focused on in mm-hmm. other words he speaks from Mount Sinai Moses, like the rest of Israel, receives this word, and they're terrified by it. Hmm. And I see almost a Trinitarian reality, a comparison going on here. God spoke from Mount Sinai. Jesus speaks now. Hmm. We have right. So. Amen. Good. Um, they hear, but they reject what the voice is saying. Uh, one voice from heaven. One voice from earth. Uh, greater responsibility with the voice from heaven. Um, let's talk more about the difference from the, the difference between the voice from heaven and the voice from from earth. Because um, I'll start it off here to help you out a little bit. All but uh, on earth, the word fell on ears from heaven. It appeals to our consciences and our hearts um, because it's a word of grace. It's a completely different, it's, a, it's like, a, I wouldn't say a completely different word, but it ha, it's smothered with grace now because it's because of Jesus being this side of the cross where the word was spoken from the other side of the cross. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, which makes um, more of a severe punishment if it's disobeyed, if it's not listened to. You know? Yep. Um, <laughs> One may fail to hear and understand, the other will find us out. Um, we spoke about that in Hebrews too, um, with the word cutting sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, the word of God has power. Um, it reveals things to us. It opens our eyes and our minds to truths about us. It convicts us. It challenges us. Um, if it's neglected only through stubbornness of will, then how much less shall we escape if we turn away from him who warns from heaven? Um, one spoke by commandments on earth, now one speaks as grace from heaven. 
Um, so there is a difference there. There is a difference there. And, and we're held accountable to what we hear, to what's been preached, to what's been said. Moses was God's voice piece. Jesus is live. <laughs> Jesus is the very voice of God. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. And this is what Mark said. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. That's Luke 9.35. What, what was um, Jesus' mother, Mary, her last recorded words? Go ahead. Do as he says. Amen. Where was that done, Jonathan? That's a Amen, brother. Jonathan. Amen. Good job. This is my, uh, uh, she said, do whatever he tells you. Last recorded words of Mary. Good ones. Um, one voice speak of commandments. The other voice speaks of gospel grace. Again, it goes back to Hebrews 1, 1 and 4. The word seed means to watch, keep in, uh, to keep a watchful eye, a careful alert. See, and the word refuse means to decline, reject, turn away, deny, disavow. Um, so the question would be today then, why are sinners so happy and content? I think because they enjoy, enjoy their life. They're enjoying life? Like, like um, well, some of them are, but someone, one preacher said, you know, sin is fun for a while. Hmm. Well, they make a lifetime out of it, though, right? Well, hopefully some will get saved. Hmm. Brother Gary? Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Hmm. So because God's not judging people at the present time, the world takes advantage of that, assuming that God is passively looking on and is indifferent to the conduct of people on earth. Mm. Therefore, people take advantage of it, like someone being let out of the house, you know, and go wherever they want and play and do whatever they want to do. I think the world thinks that they can uh, get away with whatever, and there's no no one watching. Right. Right. Yeah, pretty, pretty scary. Um, Thomas Watson said... The seeming peace of a sinner has is not from the knowledge of his happiness, but the ignorance of his danger. So there's there's an ignorance there. There's a um, or they're denying something. They're stuffing something. Go ahead, Tony. I think in some ways too, there's usually an immediate um, consequence for for whatever for every action um, in the in a sinner's life. If they do something, something happens immediately. So they get like almost immediate satisfaction with something, mm-hmm. immediate danger. And I don't know, it, it, I'm just thinking that a lot of times this temporary joy um, that people seek out, they do it because it's an immediate joy. It mm-hmm. comes right after an action. Right. Almost like a drug. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. It's, it's like... Um, like those those pictures that you look at that have like two separate sides to it and you can see it and you look at it and you look at it and then someone says, well, if you look at it long enough, it it like changes its face, you know? Mm. And and it's just like that. that's what, what the world sees. They can't see like the other part of the picture because they're blind to it. Mm. They can't, they can't see the light of the truth. They, 
Because their eyes have not been open to it. Amen. Amen. Yet they're still held accountable to it. Yeah. All right. Um, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So this is what happened at Mount Sinai. Repeatedly we are told that the Lord shook the earth. Let's go to a few verses to back this up. Um, Todd, would you go to Exodus 19.18, please? And Dave, would you go to Judges 5, 4 and 5? And Doreen, will you take Psalm 68.8? Bev, will you take Psalm 77.18? And Greg, you take Psalm... 114, 4 and 7. Go ahead, Todd. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. Keep that stuff in mind. The fire, the smoke, the shaking. Dave? Lord, when did thou didst go out from Seir? When thou didst march from the field of Edom? The earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This Sinai, as the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Thank you, Dave. Um, Doreen? The earth shook. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Mm. Bev? Yeah, what are the verses? Uh, 77, 18. Psalm Just 77, 18. 18 okay. I think. I hope. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Mm. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Amen. Psalm 114, 4 and 7, Greg. Uh, the mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. Uh, and seven. Yeah. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Amen. We can see what the voice of the word, the word of the Lord does to the earth. The author gives attention to God's voice shaking the earth from Mount Sinai. Now referring to Haggai 2.6, God will not only shake the earth, but the heavens and all created things. When God speaks, the creation trembles. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The earth has no choice but to obey the command of its creator. Go ahead, Tony. I have a question. Um, this um, not only shaped the earth but also the heavens. Mm -hmm. And then down in 28, mm -hmm. the kingdom that cannot be shaken... Those are two different things, correct? <laughs> right, the kingdom that's not going to be shaken is is the kingdom of God, believers. Those those saved by grace, those sprinkled by the blood. And we'll get to that into more detail here. So, Jesus is, Jesus says to the storm, hush be still. The word was The world was created by his word, sustained by his word, and he can shake it by his word. Go ahead, brother. It's interesting that at Sinai, that was the inauguration of the covenant, right? The old covenant, and it was with violent and shaking. 
And when Christ died, there was an earthquake as well. Amen. Which brought the end of that old covenant. Brought, brought about the end of that old covenant. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Um, that, that God's creation um, speaks all by itself. And things that are happening. Look out, brother. Look out. <laughs> People of California talk about the big one coming someday. The big one. The big one is coming someday. Yep. And there will be no getting away from it. All nations, the entire world will mm. be shaken. Amen. Nothing will be left. Only two things. God's word and those sprinkled by his blood. God shook the earth on Mount Sinai. God will shake the entire universe. Isaiah thirteen thirteen. Um, heavens and Jesus said, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but what? Amen. Amen. And that all ties into this. Matthew twenty-four, Hebrews one ten through twelve. You Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens and the work of your hands they will perish, but you remain. They will be rolled up like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed." But you are the same, and your years will have no end. See the full circle here? Yeah. Right from 1 to, to, to 12. Um, the phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Um, so the writer interprets yet once more to mean a complete and final removal of the heavens and earth. John Phillips writes, In a coming day... All that has been created is to be demolished. Man's defiance under grace makes this inevitable. The day is coming when this world will see such a demonstration of God's power as will leave nothing standing at all except what is founded on grace. All things that haven't been affected by the grace of God will be removed. Let's go read a few verses in Revelation. Pat, will you take Revelation 6, 12 through 17? Yep. And Barry, will you take Revelation 16, 17 through 19? Revelation 6, 12 through 17. Amen. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Amen. Unbelievable. Begging for the world to fall on you, but that won't do it. That won't hide you. Go ahead, Barry. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Mm -hmm. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of Amen. Kind of um, not comforting thoughts, huh? <laughs> if you think of it, there's a great uh, play on words from a contemporary sense in, in 
nothing's new under the sun. Mm. So we sometimes in the church use the phrase a shaken faith. And that really is, to a certain extent, when you look at the book of Hebrews in an overall sense, the author is trying to prevent this shaken faith from a destroying fallen faith. Mm. And he's basically saying, without any additional warning, we belong to one who's going to shake the heavens and the earth, and you belong to a kingdom that can't be shaken. Amen. And therefore, your faith can't be shaken. Right. And therefore, endure. And when I consider Haggai, uh, actually, that was Haggai, wasn't it? It was. I was thinking Habakkuk, I'm sorry. Anyways, to just stop right there, but that's, it's, um, it is, you could say, a, um, uh, a heralding of you don't need to worry. Right. You don't need to worry. Right. Because naturally, and we'll get into this a little more, naturally, we put a lot of faith in other things. Mm. And we have faith that this world is going to keep going on, mm. but it's not. Go ahead, brother. Peter uses similar language in Acts three twenty three. He says, Every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from mm. among the people. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Those mm-hmm. that don't hear the voice will be destroyed. Huh. Similar mm-hmm. to the language what you've been reading about the Amen. destruction, the earthquakes, the shaking, and so on. If only the unsaved would realize what a solemn thing it is to reject the gospel mm-hmm. and not hear the voice of him that speaks from heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. And look at the warnings we're getting now um, as the world goes on here year after year, the, the change in weather the um, earthquakes, the storms, the violent storms, the tornadoes. I mean, the tornadoes are going on like constantly now. Hurricanes, you know. Um, do you think it would cause people to speak? I think. Well, I'm not so sure because I, the actual frequency has gone down for the tornadoes and the hurricanes. Hmm. And, um, so we just hear more about Yeah, we certainly do. Well, and they're more more devastating because over the years people have built up massive yeah. metropolis areas. Yeah. So the more people, the more buildings you have, the more damage. Sure. The more you, yeah. you, you hear the same to- story tweeted out forty six times, mentioned thirty eight times on the news. I mean, it seems like we had gee, we had forty six hurricanes this year. No, we had one actually. It was spoken about a lot. Hmm. Um, Frequency has gone down, but the, the notoriety has gone up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, hmm. and who knows? I, mean, I don't know how literal, you know, sort of Jesus. You know, meant those things in terms of it's hard to know. So that's right. Well, Matthew twenty four, he talks about them as being um, birth pains, right? Yep. Labor pains. What's scary is yeah. that the liberals who rejected this portrait, the characterization of Jesus, mm-hmm. as one who will come and judge in flaming fire. Amen. They just rejected God, the Savior, who represents that. Mm. He's just the God of love, or they actually even reject his deity in, in, in a large sense. Uh, but, you know, they just rejected him. They, these are things they just have to jettison from their own minds. Right. Okay. So all things that can be shaken will be shaken and removed. <laughs> Only the eternal things will remain. The old covenant has been shaken and replaced completely. So not only shaken, but removed. Mm-hmm. God did some shaking with the flood, right? Mm-hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. God did some shaking. The Tower of Babel, that wasn't unshakable. The Old Covenant was temporal for God's purpose. The heaven and the earth are temporal for God's purpose. The earth is not our home. Um, 
there is no permanent security in man, monies, earth, heaven, sea, armies, space, nothing. Only in God's kingdom for those who make their abode in Christ. That is where the security and the permanence comes from. That's the unshakable kingdom. So verse 28 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So now we go to our response to receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world, John 18.36. Uh, we need to start thinking of our life in eternity numbers, not 60, 70, or 80. That's nothing but a vapor, dew on the grass that's there in the morning and gone by evening. We have inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that cannot be moved. This is building on the rock, not shifting mm -hmm. sand. Nothing can take us out of the kingdom because we receive the kingdom by grace. This is something to get excited about. The kingdom is established by God. So how do we show gratitude for the kingdom that we have received that cannot be shaken? How do we show gratitude for the kingdom that we have received that cannot be shaken? We gather frequently in worship. Amen. Amen. That's, that's 28b. The second half of 28 tells us how. Then, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It's worship. Staying in a place of worship daily. Sounds like Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is how we worship daily. When we fail, we ask for forgiveness and we start again with reverence and awe. Um, a life lived with reverence and awe stresses the greatness of God and the humility of man. Don't get used to how great God is. See Him in creation. See Him in your family. You have been blessed with. See Him in how He cares and He provides for His children. Be in awe of Him because He is awesome and always keeps you, keep, and always keep yourself in an attitude of reverence. One commentator said the word reverence means with caution, with discernment and discretion, and circumspection, a word that means to pay close attention to the way you walk. Mm. This is our daily practice. Our life should be filled with worship daily. So whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do it what? All for the glory of God. Whether at work or home or eating an ice cream cone, do it all for the glory Amen. of God. Ice cream for Jesus. Amen. I love ice that. cream for Jesus. I had a seminary professor tell me that one time and I never forgot it. I wish I would have remembered other things, but I can eat an ice cream cone for the glory of God. Amen. Like, yeah. That's motivation to eat those things. Yes. So that's how we offer to God acceptable worship. It's not only on Sundays, but when always, all the time, the rest of the week. God offers grace daily, hourly, every moment, every second. So verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. This sounds like a very severe warning in Hebrews. This verse comes from Deuteronomy 4.24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And saying that God is not to be trifled with. The wrath of God is not a very popular teaching these days, but God speaks of it throughout the word. God must punish sin, and he will pour out his wrath on all those who are not covered by the blood of his only begotten son. 
Um, God's law given at Sinai prescribed many severe punishments, but the punishment is far worse for those who reject his offer of salvation through his own son, Jesus Christ. In Luke three sixteen and 17, John answered them all, this is John the Baptist, Baptist saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You cannot preserve what God has destined to burn, and you cannot burn what God has destined to preserve. I didn't. I didn't do that. That's another commentator. Oh, you get that. You got to own it for yourself. I know. I wish I could. You cannot preserve what God has destined to burn, but you cannot burn what God has destined to preserve. Mm. Nobody can take us out of the Father's hands. Mm-hmm. Words by Randall. <laughs> We've written by Randall. God's grace is unshakable and fireproof. Spurgeon preached, ah, the bridge of grace. Don't you love Spurgeon? Yes. That's the way he went. <laughs> ah, the bridge of grace will bear your weight, brother. Thousands of big sinners have gone across the bridge. Yea, tens of thousands have gone over it. I can hear their trampling now as they transverse the great arches of the bridge of salvation. They come by the thousands, by the myriads, ere since the day when Christ first entered his glory. They come and yet never a stone has sprung in that mighty bridge. Some have been the chiefest sinners and some have come at the very last of their days, but the arch has never yielded beneath their weight. It will, I will go with them, trusting to the same support. It will bear me over at it, as it has borne them. Amen. Amen. He was a heavy man. Huh? Only, <laughs> only, what'd you say, brother? He was a heavy man. He was? <laughs> he was preaching to the choir there, huh? <laughs> that is good. This is the only way to the unshakable kingdom by God's amazing grace. Our good works apart from God's grace will be shaken and burnt. Only the works done by grace of God, which is 1 Corinthians 5.10, but the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with with me. Nothing we can take credit for. Even our hard labor is only by God's grace. Saving grace, trusting grace, working grace, daily worship grace, unshakable grace is what the sinners have in Christ Jesus. So the big question is for us today, what are we worshiping? What has first place in our hearts? Money, retirement plan, family, fame? Do we love this world and our lives in it more than we love God? All these things are possible for sinners. Falling in love with created things can and will be shaken and destroyed. So what consumes our heart? Are we clothed in the asbestos righteous of Jesus Christ? Nothing else will last for eternity. Only what we have in Christ. Questions? Comments? Barry. Is that how the world tends to look at like and say, maybe like the pearly gates, maybe God will overlook something, maybe I'll slip by, maybe there's a gray area. Mm. But there's none. Mm. Guarantee. And Jesus said, every plant that my father did not plant shall be plucked up. Mm-hmm. 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 
Glad, brother. It's interesting that the verse says, let us offer to God acceptable worship, acceptable. which you will not find under the old covenant. And uh, right. I, I was saying to a co-worker, Jim Garcia, we were talking about sin. He said, you know, I, I, I make sure I say my prayers to the big guy every night. <laughs> and he was saying it in such a way that it was to promote like a, an atonement for his sin, his right. prayer. You know what I mean? He wouldn't have used that language. But I said, you know what? Every time you think a prayer of yours gets you out of trouble with God, you just got yourself ten times more in trouble. You're digging a hole that you're never going to get out of. I said, why do you think Christ was crucified? Bro? You, you were raised Roman Catholic. You, you see him up on the... Why do you think he was crucified? If your little prayers at night are good enough to mitigate and do away with your sin. Hmm. That's wicked, man. Yeah, it is wicked. That's wicked. Yeah. You mm. disgust me. <laughs> 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 Go ahead, brother. That sounds awesome, isn't he? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am Mike and myself, you know, being former Pentecostals. Yeah. <laughs> you were Pentecostals? Yeah, mom. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, this idea about you know, see that you don't refuse him who speaks from heaven. Mm. How do we understand that? How does he speak from heaven? Do I hear an inner voice? That's it, man. Okay, so I mean, is that the only answer to? Is that the answer? Well, that, that written word is definitely him speaking from heaven. But you know, the word also tells us that God speaks to us through His creation. That men are without excuse, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a natural revelation, but we would call this the the supreme revelation, right? How about dreams and visions? Dreams and visions. That'd be... Young men will dream. I mean, it's it's fairly reported by a number of different places that in the Muslim world, Jesus appears to people, Muslims, in their dreams. Hmm. This is not entirely uncommon. I remember in Nabil, a salvation sense. Or? Yes, yes. I'll talk for Nabil some Qureshi most... spoke about that, as have others. Hmm. And Scripture says, you know, uh, you know, my, your young men, your old men will have dreams. Your young men will, you know, dreams and visions in, in Acts too. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, I know. Uh, I've had some like spiritual warfare in, in sure. dreams. Oh yeah, you know? horrible. And my wife has woken me up because she thinks I'm dying or something. I'm making some crazy noises, you know. <laughs> I was wrestling with a demon once. I probably shouldn't tell you all this. Yeah, no, tell us. I, like I was that. wrestling with it. I was wrestling with a demon, and he had me by the neck. Yeah. And uh, my wife's trying to wake me up, and she's tapping me on the neck. Oh yeah. So it's even making it more severe. It's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I said, "What are you doing? Don't do that to me." <laughs> but no, I have had spiritual um, warfare in dreams. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Ty. Ultimately. God speaks through the Holy Spirit because they speak as one in unity mm. and in person. Right. Distinctly in the ministry, but yet still distinctly unified, mm. or I should say uniquely unified in the very will of the Father is the will of the Son is the will of the Spirit. Mm. Therefore, when we read the Word of God, we read our red letter edition of the words of Christ, right? Mm. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us that these are the very words of Christ. Amen. Amen. We jump right off the pages. Yeah. So did we answer your question, Brother Gary? Say that again? Did we answer your question? Yeah. Um, Do you think he speaks other ways? Well, no. Um, I, I was thinking that, you know, when the Lord saved you, didn't he call you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's an, a, a primary example. You know, that my sheep hear my voice and I know them. I think he's talking about calling them into the fold, mm-hmm. you know, through the gospel, we call that irresistible grace, you know, 
whom he did for know, he also did predestinate, whom he predestinate, then he also called. Mm. So you get the point there, the calling of right. the Lord. I don't know that we can necessarily define it, but I think there's an inward testimony that God gives to us. I mm -hmm. mean, when the Spirit is working in our lives, that's producing conviction. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how, how the voice of the Lord is speaking to us from heaven. When the Lord literally drew us, or maybe as Christians, when we really feel a divine leading uh, in something, uh, that we really are certain that the Lord is calling us, say, to move or to take another job or to marry this person or I think these are impressions that God can give us mm. that would uh, and we go ahead I disagree with that I mean the other things I, I agree with, but I disagree that there's any divine unction on who should be my wife or, I don't think that God there's nothing that we can verify that with that's unverifiable so I don't think that we can say that God because I've heard people say that and and I, of course, I could be wrong, but I, you know, when you hear people say God put it on my heart, or I heard people say when God called me to the mission field, I didn't disobey. And I thought, why do we have to cash it out in that way? Why can't we just say I have a really strong desire to do this? All of the things, you know, I can uh, trust it. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, just abandon ship, and not pay my bills and everything else, and say, well, God called me to the mission field. So it's a very practical matter to that. But I don't see in Scripture where we can say. That we have, we're like, because you're almost saying we're inspired to do something in the same way like the text was inspired. No, I wouldn't go that far, no. Because be wrong. <clears throat> it's a slippery slope. Because it's, mm. I, I don't think that, I just don't, you know, I guess, you know, God, I, I think certainly our desires mature. We're all individual. We might be talking about the same thing, calling it something different. So. I mean, but I just don't want to put the authoritative stamp of. No, I wouldn't do that. You know what I didn't mean? intend to mean it that way. But like in Romans 8, it says, about the spiritual man, you know, he's led by the spirit. Mm -hmm. There has to be some manifestation of that somehow. Not that I want to say that I was led by the spirit with some kind of 100% certainty, but I do think we have to make some judgment sometimes on the direction that the Lord seems to be pointing me mm -hmm. in, that I have to make an assessment of that. With prayer and good judgment and so mm. on, um, I'm supposed to marry in the Lord. That doesn't mean I just marry any old Christian. I just think it's so easy to forge God's signature. You know what I mean? What? It's very easy to forge God's signature on the permission slip of what we think we should and shouldn't do. And, and that, that produces what I call lead poisoning. Yeah, yeah. God, God led me to do this. Lead poisoning. You know, God, God led me to do this. God led me to do that. But, but, I mean, our desires, I mean, we're, we're so many individuals, we're the church, you know, so it's not about any sort of one person's desire, but I, mean, I do think our desires are going to manifest in different ways. God's desire to glorify himself is going to manifest in different people in different ways. I don't think like the Romans 8 passage, if, you know, contextually, Romans 8 has a lot to do with, I mean, the, the, the argument there isn't like God leading me to make this, it's not a decision-making text. You know, it's, it's a certainty text. It's God's persuading us. It's God's, you know, a life that's led by the Spirit is a God that's continually, a life that is continually leaning on the Spirit for God's uh, uh, grace in glorifying Him and worshiping Him and everything. So I don't know how that works out in the minutia and the details of life, but I, Ida does. Ida does. <laughs> <laughs> the same topic, I remember I was young. 
I'm like, I'm who's stolen you. Did I give them the revelation mm. that I had to marry this old guy? <laughs> no. Really? Wow. Yes. Yep. yes. But go. he didn't give me that revelation to me. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that's, Amen. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. Well, Mm. God talked to me mm. about this and that, and you have to do that. Right. You have to be very, very careful because you could destroy a life. Yeah. And that's, that's you part of the problem. Right. Who yeah. or what is talking to you? Right. I know in that moment I knew that that didn't talk to me. Yeah. The Amen. charismatic Pentecostal yeah. spiritual life has somewhat poisoned the waters of a discussion that we have between one another yeah. and relationship to being led by the Spirit. Mm. Because if we are spiritually spiritual people, which we are, who are born again through the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, as Gary is referring to. So we make decisions every single day mm-hmm. informed by God. Mm. But the difference mm. is, is God's not speaking in my ear to mm. give me verbal revelation mm. or using a circumstance to the degree as the Pentecostals or the Charismatics use to say, this is what is affirming to me what decision I need to make. We're just spiritually minded people who are immersed in the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God, Amen. living a life according to the will of God. Amen. But I know and, and, God gave me Kim. Well, and see, yeah, and you know, God gave me you absolutely. And, and but how do we understand it in yeah. the overall sovereignty of God within yeah. our within our lives? Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, "Oh, by the way, God spoke to me and said you need to marry Kim." Mm-hmm. There's a whole big difference there. Right. Right. Yeah. I know a lot of people um, go by signs. They look for a sign. They ask God for a sign. Yeah. You know, it's like. Well, you could almost make anything a sign. That's right. You know, oh, I saw a bird today. Wow, that's got to be it. You know, I mean, what kind of sign? You know, but you know, obviously, God is involved in our decision making. You know what I mean? So it, there's a. I, like in First Corinthians seven, when Paul's asked about you know divorce, marriage, and marriage, right? and so on, he says, "I give my opinion right. as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord." Mm-hmm. So he wasn't dogmatizing certain things or trying to direct everybody this is what you should and shouldn't do he simply would give me his opinion of what he thought was good judgment right. that he had right. from the Lord as one who had obtained mercy from yes. him mm. and that's why I good think you know, in the multitude of counsels there's safety mm. oh, I, I would listen more carefully to a wiser older spirit filled type believer who would be advising me something rather than somebody who's very impressionable and has this sort of loopy attitude right. about, well, God told me that yeah. I should tell you yeah. this type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, they were, if they were funding me, that would have a little leverage too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you better shut up your recorder. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we're going to close this prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to come together. We thank you for our salvation.